Hey 90s Crime Time listeners, Simone here. And before we begin the show, I'd like to tell you about a company that has helped 90s Crime Time receive some sponsorship success. And that company is called Podcorn. Podcorn is a podcasting marketplace that helps podcasters like me connect to certain brands to monetize my voice and engage listeners. I am very glad that I have worked with them and I know many of my fellow podcasters are as well. And hey, to all my fellow podcasters who are looking for potential sponsors for their show, I would highly suggest you sign up for Podcorn because they can for sure help you monetize your voice and spread your show to broad audiences. So, if you're looking for a company that can expand your show's horizons, I would suggest Podcorn, which is totally free, and to help, I've put a link to their website in the notes. Now, let's start the show. Hello. It's June 22nd, 2022. My name is Simone, and this is 90s Crime Time. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time. And if you're new to 90s Crime Time, welcome to the show. Like always, I hope you all had a wonderful weekend and are having a great start to your week. And I apologize once again for being late with the new episode, but now it's finally arrived. And with that, let's dive in to today's case. The year was 1995, and in the city of New Orleans, Louisiana, lots of people were putting New Orleans on their bucket list as a place to vacation. And why wouldn't they? New Orleans is and was world-renowned for having excellent food, music, partying, and whatever else to choose from and the locals were known to have great hospitality to their fellow natives and visitors. However, many in New Orleans saw a darker side of the city that tourists couldn't even imagine, and saw it as a place where one may have to fight to survive. Between the rise in crime, which included the sell and trafficking of drugs, prostitution, murder, and more, many wondered how it could be stopped. Many natives wondered if the police could help, but after reports surfaced that many of the NOPD were themselves involved in crime, many didn't know who to turn to. And the reports on the NOPD got so bad that no one thought anything worse could be said about the department. 
However, in 1995, a report involving two police officers in the NOPD was so shocking that people around the country couldn't believe what they were hearing, and it caused panic amongst the city. In the following case, you'll find out what event the two officers were involved in. The investigation and aftermath in a case I title, Badge of Blood. By the 1990s, the city saw a great diversity of races to the city. Black Americans, whites, Asians, and other races made New Orleans their home. Speaking of Asian communities, the city had a large population of Vietnamese Americans settled in the city. According to reports, by the mid-1970s after the fall of Saigon, Many people from Vietnam fled to the United States, and lots of them settled in New Orleans. This was because many found out that New Orleans had a similar climate to that of Vietnam, and many also had help to move by the Catholic Charities Organization, and they moved them specifically to New Orleans. After their arrival, many Vietnamese started their own small businesses. And even though many of their businesses had been successful, many in the community didn't trust banks. Therefore, many owners would use quote-unquote collective financing, which meant several businesses chipped in to help start a new business or to help a business expand. This way, many Vietnamese business owners kept their profits in the community only, without banks keeping watch. And to many, this helped their entrepreneurship remain successful. And without depositing cash into the bank, many owners kept their profits in safes and in their businesses. However, after a while, some New Orleans residents began to find out that many of the business owners kept their profits on them. And as a result, many businesses began to get robbed, which led to a few owners hiring security, usually off-duty police, to guard their businesses. In 1994, one of the business owners who decided to hire off-duty police to keep watch was the Vu family. Like many of their fellow immigrants, the Vu family came from Vietnam and despite having little means when they arrived to the States, they soon had an idea to open up their own restaurant. And they named it the Kim An Restaurant in East New Orleans. The restaurant served traditional Vietnamese dishes, and it was primarily ran by the matriarch of the family, Nguyet, and her daughters, Cha and Ha Vu and Sons Kwong and Kwok Fu. The restaurant was a small success, and the Vu family saw some profits come in. And like mentioned previously, 
since many Vietnamese immigrants didn't trust banks. The Vu family kept their profits near to them. But just in case there was any trouble, they knew they had to make sure their business was secure. So, sometime in 1994, the Vus decided to hire security and hired two NOPD officers, Antoinette Frank and Ronald Williams. According to reports, the Vu family liked both officers and got along with them well. But according to one report, Neguette and her children took a bigger liking to Antoinette. Antoinette Frank was born on April 30, 1971, in Opelousas, Louisiana. Not much is known about Antoinette's upbringing, but what is known is that while in school, according to reports, Antoinette seemed to not be known by pretty much anyone in school. Some of her teachers said that they knew who she was, but she didn't really make an impression on any of them, good or bad. Antoinette was apparently a recluse while in school, because she never appeared in any of the school's yearbooks. But according to one report, when she was 16, she told at least one person in her family that she wanted to become a police officer. But she wanted out of Opelousas, and set her sights on becoming an officer in New Orleans. Fast forwarding to 1992, Antoinette finally decided to make her move to New Orleans and apply to the police academy. But shortly after applying, she ran into problems. According to a report, while a police investigator was exploring her background, they found out she had lied about why she was fired from a Walmart she previously worked at. Antoinette told them she had worked at a Walmart in Opelousas and was simply transferred to one in New Orleans. However, when the investigator dug deeper, they found out Antoinette wasn't transferred from the Opelousas Walmart. In actuality, Antoinette had been fired after having quote-unquote personality conflicts with other associates and was not eligible for rehire. But despite the lie, the police academy rated Antoinette as an acceptable candidate for the department. However, once Antoinette got to the personality assessments of the academy's application, she fared less than best. Antoinette took two widely used, standardized personality assessments. When a psychologist reviewed her assessments, Antoinette ranked poor, which was the lowest score possible. And she was ranked poor in the areas of tolerance, open-mindedness, and impulse control. And Antoinette ranked below average in stability, maturity, 
and the probability of adjusting to organizations. Due to her results, the psychologist requested she take another psychological exam. And after she took the third one, the psychologist said Antoinette was unacceptable in integrity, forthrightness, and willingness to accept responsibility. Therefore, Antoinette was not a good candidate for the department. After hearing her results, Antoinette was of course disheartened. But no one knew how disheartened she was. Because according to reports, Antoinette hired an attorney to fight the psychologist's ruling. But just a short time after meeting with the attorney, Antoinette wrote her father a suicide note, which read in part, quote, I was doomed since the day I was born. I hate myself and my life, end quote. Startled, Antoinette's father filed a missing persons report after finding the note, but Antoinette did eventually turn up, and despite the psychologist's reservation and having a file in the department saying big letters, do not hire, two weeks after she disappeared, the New Orleans Police Department hired Antoinette. In July 1993, she finally graduated from the police academy, apparently at the top of her class, and she was issued New Orleans Police Badge number 628. Antoinette had obtained her dreams of being a police officer. However, just as soon as she became an official officer, complaints began to come in about Antoinette, but not from civilians, from fellow officers. According to reports, many of her fellow officers complained to their bosses that Antoinette was lazy, too shy, and not assertive. And when she did file incident reports, they'd be incomprehensible. And worse, they complained that Antoinette's behavior was irrational. Her reputation got so bad with many of her fellow officers that many did not want to be associated with her. But due to the NOPD apparently desperate to hire officers, Antoinette got to keep her job. By 1994, Antoinette was apparently still doing the bare minimum for the department. But things in her police career changed when on the night of November 25, 1994, while on patrol, Antoinette was one of several officers dispatched to the scene of a double shooting. The shooting turned out to be a drug deal gone bad, and the two victims were 18-year-old Rogers Lacaz, who was a well-known drug dealer, and his good friend, Namaya Miller. Namaya was unfortunately killed while Rogers received multiple life-threatening injuries. According to reports, Rogers told Antoinette and other officers that he and Namaya were hanging out when another friend, a 19-year-old who went by the name Freaky D, whipped out a gun and started shooting at them. At first, they thought Freaky D was joking until they were both shot, and Rogers thought he was shot because they had just scored on a big drug deal, and that Freaky D was trying to rob them. 
As a result of his gunshot wounds, Rogers spent weeks in the hospital and for some strange reason was visited frequently by Antoinette. According to reports, Antoinette didn't visit Rogers frequently to get more info about the case. Antoinette wanted to help him out at first, as a sort of older sister, to help him clean up his act. But then, Antoinette began to see another side of Rogers she liked, an attractive side. She liked the bad boy image of Rogers, the fact that he seemed fearless and had a reputation for being a drug dealer. Granted, Antoinette was supposed to be taking down the drug dealers, but not Rogers. She wanted to know more about him. So after Rogers was finally released from the hospital, Antoinette took Rogers up under her wing. You see, a year before he was shot, Roger's mother kicked him out of the home when he was 17 due to his drug dealing. And apparently Rogers roamed the streets of New Orleans looking for a place to stay. But now that Antoinette took a liking to him, she offered for Rogers to stay with her. And not only that, Antoinette gave Rogers the full treatment. She bought him a cell phone expensive clothes, and even rented him a new Cadillac. Even better, while Antoinette was working, she'd let Roger drive her police cruiser, and he tagged along and went on police calls with her. When questioned by fellow officers and civilians about who Rogers was, Antoinette would tell them he was her trainee. And just when their relationship couldn't get any worse, Antoinette and Rogers began a sexual relationship, and Antoinette became obsessed and spent even more of her time with him. When she would continue to let Rogers ride around with her, according to reports, by 1995, Antoinette would let Rogers handle business, meaning she would let him do his drug dealings and or settle disputes with weapons, all in the police car. No matter how crazy it sounds, Antoinette seemed to be happy. She was working her dream career, had a bad boy on her arm, and like mentioned previously, she was making extra money working security at the Vu's restaurant. At Kim An, the Vu's loved Antoinette and their other security guard, Officer Ronald Williams. The Vu showered them with gifts and adored them because they kept their profits in restaurants safe. However, one of the Vu's daughters, Cho, started to have a change of heart against Antoinette after she began and started bringing around Rogers. To Cho, she thought Rogers was a criminal and no good because he carried himself a certain way and he had gold teeth. But none of the Vus threatened Antoinette's part-time job, and they continued 
to let her work there. But something about Antoinette Cho couldn't put her finger on, and she didn't like. Especially after she began hanging around Rogers, and it wasn't just his gold teeth. However, on the evening of Friday, March 3rd, Cho's suspicions of Antoinette and Rogers came to a head. That night, according to reports, business at the Kim An had been slow and Officer Williams was working security. At around 11 p.m. that evening, Antoinette came in for to-go food, and then she left. As the night rolled into the early morning hours of Saturday, March 4th, Neguet left for the evening, leaving her four children to clean up and count the money. Then, for an unknown reason, Antoinette returned a second time, And then once she and Rogers returned a third time, the whole restaurant, including Officer Williams, knew something was up. As a matter of fact, Officer Williams apparently told Cho that Antoinette was bad news. The third time Antoinette and Rogers came back, the restaurant was officially closed. Cho was in the restaurant, counting money spread out on a table but when she saw Antoinette and Rogers return, she panicked and grabbed all the money and stuffed it into the microwave. Meanwhile, the workers noticed Antoinette trying to open the locked door. Cho shouted out, don't open the door. But scarily enough, Cho's brother Kwok watched as Antoinette open the restaurant's door with a key, in which she wasn't supposed to have. As she opened the door, Cho ran into the dining room to try and confront Antoinette. And noticing the commotion, Officer Williams got up. By this point, Antoinette made her way into the restaurant, and Officer Williams questioned her as to how she got the key. But she ignored him and pushed Cho and Kwok towards the kitchen of the restaurant. Trying to see what was going on and to get a closer look, Officer Williams stood up and turned towards the kitchen. And after he did, he was shot in his back and then his neck. Officer Williams stumbled to the floor, his body paralyzed. For the final moment, the shooter shot Officer Williams, a married father of two, in his head killing him. Then the killer bent over Officer Williams' body and snatched his pistol from his holster and then reached into Officer Williams' back pocket and removed his wallet. Meanwhile, Antoinette was busy holding Cho and Kwok in the back when she heard the shots and ran to the front. After she fled, Cho grabbed Kwok and another employee and ran toward the walk-in cooler farther back in the building. Cho called for her other siblings, Ha and Kwong, to follow her, but they were frozen with fear. According to reports, once inside the cooler, Cho and Kwong 
peeked through one of the glass doors and saw Antoinette and Rogers ransack the kitchen. But as they did, they were silently praying that Antoinette and Rogers would not see them because the cooler didn't lock from the inside. And if they found them, they could be hurt or worse. Next, Cho and Kwok saw Antoinette and Rogers digging in the area where they hid the restaurant's money. And then they heard gunshots. Cho knew who was still out there in the restaurant, but surely Ha and Kwong weren't hurt or worse. After the shots, the ones in the cooler panicked, but stayed still. But as time went on, Cho stood on a rack and peeked through a window that looked out over the parking lot. A few minutes later, she saw Antoinette's car speeding away. And after waiting several more minutes to make sure the coast was clear, Cho crept out of the cooler, and the restaurant was silent. As she walked out of the cooler, she came across a horrifying sight. On the blood-soaked kitchen floor were the bodies of her beloved sister and brother, Kwong and Ha Vu and they had been shot dead. But Cho had no time to stop and grieve. She made her way to the front door and hoped to meet Officer Williams along the way for help. But as she did, in the dining room, she came across the body of Officer Williams face down behind the bar. He was their protector, and now he was gone, and Cho didn't know what to do. She reached for the phone near the bar to call 911, but it wasn't there. But she saw her purse, and she grabbed her cell phone that was in the purse. She dialed 911, but she couldn't get through, and she was terrified Antoinette and Rogers would come back. Cho tried and tried again to get through to 911, but couldn't. So she hung up, and in desperation, she called a friend and pleaded with them to call for help. She then went back inside the cooler for safety. Kwok wanted to make sure the police were on the way, so he slipped out of the restaurant and ran to a nearby friend's house to use the phone. Meanwhile, according to reports, Antoinette stormed through the door of the 7th Precinct of the NOPD, where she worked. She told the desk officer that she needed to borrow a police car to respond to a shooting at the Kim An restaurant. And she grabbed the keys to one of the marked police cars and left. Back at the restaurant, Cho peered outside and saw a marked police car cruise through the parking lot, then disappear. Then she saw the car parked at a business next door. However, Cho didn't feel safe because she was sure the car was being driven by Antoinette, who she suspected of killing the three inside. Within a few minutes, a second car pulled into the parking lot, and to Cho, it looked like a police car. Two men got out, and they were wearing police uniforms. Seeing the officers gave Cho hope, so she threw open the cooler, bolted through the front door, and ran to the police car. The officers, identified as Wayne Favre and Reginald Jacques,
had been working in extra-duty detail nearby when the call came over the radio of a shooting at the Kim An. And when the call came in that Officer Williams had been shot, police cars started racing to the scene. Officer Favre saw Cho running toward him from the restaurant, and she was being chased by a black woman. Officer Favre recognized the woman as a police officer, and it was Antoinette. Officer Favre questioned her about where the perpetrators were, in which Antoinette responded, saying they were in the back. Soon after, another police car came to the scene, and inside was a female officer. Cho ran to her and told her she was scared for her brother and sister. The female officer then walked her into the restaurant, and Antoinette followed. Seeing Antoinette follow, the female officer asked her who she was, in which Antoinette said she was a quote-unquote 26, a code meaning police officer. Antoinette then turned to Cho and questioned her, saying, quote, Cho, what happened to your brother and sister? End quote. Cho responded hysterically through her tears, quote, You were there. You know everything. Why you ask me that question? End quote. The female officer, later identified as Yvonne Favre, Officer Wayne Favre's wife, then walked through the restaurant. According to reports, inside she saw the bodies of Ha and Kwong Vu. Kwong was laying on his side with his knees pulled up to his chest, and he had been shot six times. His older sister Ha was still on her knees in a praying position, her forehead resting against the floor. She'd been shot four times. Officer Favre also came across the body of Officer Williams, and when she was done surveying, she questioned Cho on who she thought did this. Cho responded, saying, quote, It was Antoinette. And then Cho pointed to Antoinette. Shortly after she was questioned, two detectives arrived on the scene. Antoinette volunteered to talk to them and she told them she'd been in the kitchen getting something to drink when she heard gunshots in the dining room. She didn't have a gun or radio on her, so she told them she hurried some of the staff out through the back door, then jumped in her car and raced to the police station to report the shots. She added that at the station, she told the desk officer what happened, then grabbed a police car and returned to the restaurant for help, moments before the other officers arrived. However, one detective found her story a little odd. This was because, as he was surveying the scene, he noticed that the screen door at the back of the restaurant was locked, meaning Antoinette couldn't have gotten anyone out of the back door, unless she had locked the door back from the inside after apparently rushing the workers out the back. One detective questioned her about this, but Antoinette didn't have an answer. The detectives also questioned Cho and Kwok, and they gave a totally different story than what Antoinette told them. 
saying they saw she and Rogers come by, and Antoinette somehow got the restaurant's key and unlocked the door after hours. And after comparing the story against that of Cho and Kwok, detectives declared Antoinette was lying. Not only has she lied about getting people out the back door, but earlier on in the questioning, she told detectives she didn't have a gun. But then detectives patted her down. Then they found her 38 revolver and her waistband. And as she talked more to detectives, she seemed to be one of the most cold-hearted people they'd ever met. They also sent a team of officers to find Rogers, and then they handcuffed Antoinette and drove her to the homicide office. Detectives interviewed Antoinette for hours, and after a while she came around and said Rogers killed Officer Williams, and that she killed Ha and Kwong Vu. And she said she did it because Rogers made her do it, because if she didn't do it, she said Rogers would have killed her. After her confession, Antoinette was officially charged with murder and held in jail. A day later, Rogers was found and brought in for questioning, along with his brother. His brother told detectives that Rogers and Antoinette had planned to rob the restaurant for about a week, that Rogers had shot Officer Williams, and said Antoinette had shot Ha and Kwong. Rogers also confessed to detectives himself, and he said it was Antoinette's idea because she was mad at Officer Williams, because she said he was always, quote-unquote, fucking her over, and that he was messing over her, and the Vu family did anything he said, and that she was going to, quote, get those motherfuckers, end quote. Rogers denied actually being at the restaurant that night, but he couldn't explain why he had Officer Williams' credit card and used it to buy $15.29 worth of gas just 45 minutes after the murders. With that evidence, Rogers was charged with murder and held in jail as well. In July 1995, just four months after the murders, Rogers Lacaz was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to death by lethal injection. Interestingly, after his sentence, Rogers received a very small note from Antoinette, which read in part, Stick to your innocence. I'm proud of you. God keep you. End quote. Six weeks after Rogers was sentenced to death, Antoinette's trial started. With her trial, however, the jury toured the murder scene. In the kitchen of the restaurant, detectives showed jury members where they'd found the bodies of the victims. After the state presented its case, Frank's defense team rested without calling any of their 39 potential witnesses or introducing any evidence, but it's unclear why. In October 1995, the jury found Antoinette Frank guilty on all counts, and soon after her verdict, she too was sentenced to death. 
but the story doesn't quite end there. According to reports, back in 1993, Antoinette Frank was living with her father, Adam Frank Sr., who she moved in with in 1992. However, by August 1993, Antoinette reported her father as missing. It was said Mr. Frank's missing persons case wasn't taken too seriously. But after Antoinette was sentenced, things became interesting. A month after her sentencing, police took a closer look at Antoinette's belongings and at the house she once lived in with her father. Police arrived at the home with cadaver dogs, and one of the dogs sniffed and uncovered human bones under the house. The remains were identified as an arm, a leg, sections of a spine, and a skull. To this day, the remains have not been positively identified, but experts who examine the remains believe they are that of those of a man about the same age as Antoinette's father. While on death row, Antoinette has denied any knowledge of the skeletal remains and has refused to provide DNA samples for comparison. In 2019, Roger's death sentence was overturned and he was resentenced to life in prison. And as of 2022, Antoinette Frank remains the only woman on Louisiana's death row. The story of the Ken On restaurant murders comes from the sources of the New York Times, the New Orleans Advocate, the Sacramento Bee, and others I'll put in the notes. All right. Now that one was a scary one that uh, sort of gave me nightmares. Um, I'm only going to say very few things for this opinion piece. Um, number one, I do want to apologize if I pronounced any name wrong, any names wrong. Um, I tried to find some video clips of how to pronounce these names, uh, the Vietnamese victims names, the, v the Vu family names, and um, some have different pronunciations. And I just tried my best to pronounce them as best as I could. Once again, I do apologize if I got names wrong. Um, I'm still learning. Um, and I, like I said, I apologize. Uh, but number one, I do not believe Antoinette Frank should have ever been hired by the New Orleans Police Department. Um, a trained psychologist uh, with the education said more than two times she didn't need to do it. She needed three psychological exams. Um, that tells you something. That means to me, she had no business being a police officer. Now, what I read, they were very, the NOPD was very desperate because no one wanted the, that job because New Orleans had a high crime rate at that time. Um, I think it's still kind of high, but I'm not sure if it's, it's as high as it was back then because many of you have heard the story of New Orleans and really high crime rates. And so they were desperate to find someone who was willing to take the job. And Antoinette was apparently ready to do it since she was 16 years old. And also, um, I read in an, uh, um, an article that p the police had a lot of tension with the black American uh, natives of New Orleans. So they wanted to hire many black uh, 
police officers to the uh, force and um, internet lucked up and got that position and i believe that people turned a blind eye clearly to the do not hire in big letters like she's not supposed to be hired why are you hiring her and um they did it anyway because they were pretty much desperate from what i read and um yeah, the uh, Vu family had traveled all the way from Vietnam for a better life, and this is how it turned out. Miss um, Nguyen, or Nguyen, I forgot, I, I don't know how to say her name properly, uh, she brought her four children here to make a better life, the American dream, and two of her children were cut down by um, two evil people. And um, I don't know what her rationale was, uh, internet, I'm assuming it's robbery, but there was something else going on. I don't know if she was just evil or what. Um, but you know, she was a recluse since she was like a teenager or maybe before didn't appear in any yearbooks. I'm not saying yearbooks are a big deal, but to the majority of high school students in America, the yearbook is a big deal, but she didn't appear to any of them. That's a little strange to me. Um, something about Rogers brought her out of her shell, I guess. Um, I don't know if she had any friends or if Rogers was her only friend or whatnot. I'm not sure, but it was just a very weird relationship. I don't know. If she never really dated before. Um, she met Rogers, but that should have told other people. There's had to have been other officers around her to know, like, wait, that guy is not a trainee. They're, they're doing something inappropriate. I'm, you know, I would assume because they were, there were multiple officers coming to that scene when Rogers was uh, shot at when his friend was murdered. So someone had to have recognized him from that scene. And plus he was a well-known drug dealer. Why is he out there with Antoinette? Like, is no one, did no one not really say anything or did she threaten them? Who knows? But that was very odd to me. And lastly, like I mentioned, I'm not going to hold too long. I just had a few points. Lastly, what's up with the deal with her father? And why won't she, apparently to this day, not give DNA samples to compare um, if those bones found under the home uh, are that are those of her father? Um, no one knows where he is. No one knows why he disappeared. Um, no one knows the really the dynamic between Antoinette and her father. Um, I'm assuming there was some type of tension. Um, but no one really knows what's going on. Um, and just, it's all very scary and sad. And, um, it's one of the most interesting cases. I know they say that about a lot of my cases, but this one I've been wanting to cover for a while. Um, there's a lot more to the story actually. And I'm putting a lot of the notes, uh, for this episode in the show notes, um, a lot of the sources and the notes. Um, but yeah, please take a look and read at them when you have a moment and um, that's it. Thank you again for tuning in to this brand new episode of 90s Crime Time. And I hope you were intrigued. I'd like to know what you think of this case on 90s Crime Time social media pages, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. If you enjoy the show and you haven't already, please leave a review, hopefully in a good way, on any podcast platform that 90s Crime Time is on and has a rating system, primarily Apple, so please help me with that and hopefully give the show at least four stars. Lastly, I'd like to give a shout out to a very special 90s Crime Time fan named Tisha. She supported the show to help keep it going. And I really appreciate Tisha for that. 
Um, so a very, very big thank you to Tisha. She's been a really big follower of 90s Crime Time, uh, not just on the podcast, but on the Instagram page where it all began. Uh, so a very big shout out to Tisha. Um, also, I know I was very late with this episode and I haven't been consistent with the new episodes, but don't worry. I'll have a new episode tomorrow as a sort of an apology episode. And it's also one of my favorite topics to cover since it's my birthday week. And you all probably know what that is, but I'll be back tomorrow um, for uh, a new episode. Uh, and again, sorry for being late. Lastly, stay safe and healthy, and I'll see you soon for a brand new episode of 90s Crime Time.